In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the devastating news of Joel Embiid's right orbital fracture and concussion, the latest we're hearing on how long he might be out of the lineup, how the Sixers can match up with Miami Heat until he's able to return, and our overall thoughts on the upcoming second round series. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, along with Rich Hoffman on a Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Here to you for the second time, for the first time. How you doing, Rich? Long time no talk, buddy. Yeah. So I guess, first off, to apologize for the fact that this is the first podcast of the week. Part of that came because we were going to do one on Wednesday, uh, and then I came down with the COVID. So we had delayed that for a couple days. I'm doing fine. Don't worry about me. That delayed the podcast for a little bit. Then we got around to doing one on Friday night, hung up Zoom, maybe a half an hour later, word came out that Joel Embiid had a right orbital fracture and a mild concussion and was listed as out. So pretty much everything we talked about in that initial podcast, just hit the delete button, didn't really matter anymore. Uh, we talked about, honestly, it was a pretty, you'll have to take our word for it. It was a pretty positive podcast. Super positive. Because... <laughs> You know, it kind of came out that like, look, maybe there was one extra game in there where they played frustratingly bad, but three out of five games or three out of six games, they were unstoppable offensively. Joel Embiid looked like he was rebounding from that thumb injury. James Harden was improving, uh, or at least had one of his best games there in game six. There was a lot, and Tobias Harris is playing the best basketball of his Sixers career. There was a lot to be positive about, and that all goes away. Because for the second time in my career, I have had to look up <clears throat> orbital fractures. And more importantly, for the second time in Joel Embiid's career, he has a playoff series against Miami Heat put in jeopardy because of an orbital fracture. Luckily, luckily, this one is on the other side. It's not the same eye. When he ran into Markel Fultz's shoulder, that was his left orbital um, socket. This is his right. And... Key, right now, they do not believe that surgery will be required, whereas in the previous one, it was. So that is why there is still optimism around the team that he will have a chance to come back in this series. They don't really know when it is. He will, at the very least, miss five days, which is at least game one, but I would say probably game two because of the concussion. So now we have to sit here and rather than talk about a pretty positive, happy-go-lucky Game 6 victory. We have to talk about, well, how the hell do they win without Joel Embiid? And now with the reality that this backup center situation, which we were like, oh my God, this is horrible. Like, how are we going to get eight minutes out of this? You've now got to get probably 96 minutes out of this. And I don't even know where to begin. I guess where I'll begin, and I realize I've been talking now for like three minutes straight, and Rich said like, hello. So I apologize about that. Where I'll begin is I feel bad for Joel. Like, legitimately, like, this dude, every year we think he's going to be healthy coming in the playoffs. Last year, what did he get hurt in that Washington series? Like, five minutes in? Something like that? We thought he was going to be healthy, finally, and he, was it his knee? Something. It was game, it was game four. Oh, was it? But it was the first round. Yep. Yes, and now, was. he thought, well, all right, he already has to play through one injury with the thumb. 
but it looked like he's learning how to navigate that, find what he can do, find what he can't do, play to his strengths. And now his freaking eye blows up again. And it's just like, he can, he like cannot catch a break. <sighs> I mean, yeah, I just, just sigh. I could sigh for 45 minutes. It sucks. I feel really bad for him because, you know, he gets called injury prone a lot. These are freak fucking injuries, man. Yes. This is getting your thumb caught in a jersey or whatever the hell happened. And then Pascal Siakam delivering like a flying elbow to your eyeball. It's just, I feel really bad for him. And he just, he, the guy like literally cannot catch a break. The guy cannot have a healthy playoffs. His one healthy playoffs is when Ben Simmons was hurt and his team was awful yeah. in the bubble. That's the only time he's been even close to healthy. And, you know, you thought, okay, after game six, all right, he's dealing with this thumb issue and that sucks. It's really painful for him. But you saw game six, like, all right, he can play through it. He's starting to make those pull-up jumpers. He's making those lefty hang dribbles again. And, you know, you heard Doc describe that as somebody who had had that injury before. Okay, you know, you got to get used to it at some point. You got to find a way to work around it. And it really looked like he was starting to do that. And then, you know, the series is over. I mean, that building, Toronto, the, the Sixers should be allowed to not play in that <laughs> ever again. That building is play cursed. in Tampa? Yeah, they should. The Raptors <laughs> should have to play them in Tampa. Because even when the Sixers win, that building takes a price from them. A, a huge, huge price. And it's just, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Like, that, that news, when it comes out, that he has a concussion and he has this orbital fracture, which... Again, and there's no timeline on it either, too. We don't yeah. know. And some of that is the concussion, I think, too, because you you don't know how long it takes to clear that. That's like, that's as big of a gut punch as Kawhi shot. It, it's just brutal in, in one tweet. And it's for a guy who's had to deal with this his whole career. It's, um, I, first off, I feel really bad for literally every fan of this team. I feel bad for the people who work in the team. But most of all, I feel bad for Joel Embiid. It's just, uh... The poor guy can't catch a break. He just yeah. can't. And I almost feel like we have to do two podcasts, like two preview podcasts. First preview podcast of how to survive the first two games or so without Joel Embiid. And another preview podcast when he actually comes back because so much changes. But it's just like, remember when he sat there and the seedings came out and the whole playoff picture was clear. And he said, all right, look, that first round series is a little bit tougher than you would prefer. You would have preferred Chicago or the like. But if you can get past Toronto, that second round matchup, not that Miami's easy, they're the top seed in the East, but matchup wise, you're a little more comfortable with that than you are with Boston or Milwaukee. You don't want to be in that same side of the bracket. Well, now they got through Toronto. Quite honestly, they looked a little better doing it than I expected, with the exception of game five, which we don't even have to dwell on right now because so much has changed. But with the exception but of we game need, five. But we need to emphasize this. Like yesterday's pod or the pod we did that we didn't release was very positive, very positive. about very about positive. them having that terrible game five and responding with a perfect basketball game. With, for the, most with part. the exception of that middle uh, four and five, they looked much better offensively than I expected coming in. And you then projected that the second round. We said, all right, look, Miami's tough, but they have a chance. They match up fairly well or at least reasonably well. They have a better chance against them then Milwaukee or Boston. And then Joel Embiid is unavailable for at least the start of it. And it's just, it, yeah. for all of you listening to this, not only is it a gut punch for the team, but a gut punch for you. It's 
just every year. Every year when you get your hopes up, something... And look, I understand that's part of the playoffs. Like, it is a grind. It is a, a, a really last team standing, tough field to get through. It's designed that way. It should be that way. It wouldn't be rewarding if it wasn't. But boy... This one guy has taken way too much yeah. of that uh, that toughness. It's just, it's ridiculous. These are freak injuries. So we talked, we actually, on this pod yesterday, we talked a little bit about. We did. About the TSN broadcast. How many, how I, many podcasts out. do you think we have that like we have referenced on air that have never actually been released? There's got to be at least six or seven of them now. Yeah, I think I, somewhere close to 10, I think. <laughs> Where, yeah, we just, to we be just fair, trash it. You and I, and a lot of people probably don't, because for a while you and I were doing a sort of like an anonymity. Like we've been podcasting for legitimately like 10 years. It's at least once a year. I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's just, it's even more than that too. You just can't say anything definitive about this team because the other shoe is going to drop, whether it's good, bad, whatever. You can't, you you can't definitively say anything because something bad is usually going to happen to them. And it's, you know, look, a lot of this, some of this is their own making, obviously. You know, they've made a lot of mistakes throughout their career. I don't know what you're going to do. So, we, yeah, in on our uh, our podcast that is just going to be in the archives. Maybe we'll we release, did, like, little little drops of it. Like, just little, like, 60-second clips of it, just as teasers. I'll reiterate what I said, though. I think it was absolutely ridiculous that that broadcast was saying you deserve it after he threw the airplane celebration back in his face, number one. It it was honestly like they they sounded like the I think it was Brian McCann or somebody like they sound like old school baseball people who want somebody beaned yeah for hitting a home yeah. run that they, was unwritten rules of baseball was exactly what I thought yeah that was a dangerous play from the second it happened which by the way that is the second best baseball reference that we made <laughs> on the podcast we will never hear we'll we'll pull it out again in, the, <laughs> in this Miami series. <laughs> the uh yeah yeah it was just really bad and their fans cheered and it it just sucked and it it just it's unbelievable so let me let me ask you this cuz this was the the topic du jour today cuz you weren't you weren't there cuz of your situation what do you what do you do with doc leaving him in the game there so look do i think it was a mistake yes and i th- like people i had some people say like well would you have said said it was a mistake if nothing happened yeah it, the way I sort of like compare it is if you have a friend who doesn't wear a seatbelt and you tell him, hey, you should probably wear your seatbelt. After a while, you stop telling him that. And just because he doesn't get an accident that time he steps in a car doesn't mean that your advice isn't sound anymore. He should probably wear a seatbelt. He's just willing to play the odds. With Doc, it's sort of like that too. Just because some people didn't point it out doesn't mean that he, there wasn't risk in what he was doing. And really what I would say is unnecessary risk. Because I think a lot of people look at it and they say, well, they blew two 18-plus point leads against Atlanta last year. But when you go back and look at it, like the one like 24-point lead was like early in the third quarter and the one 18-point lead was in the second quarter. Like When you start talking about 29 points with four minutes left, it's the extremity of both of those that is key. Like Just scoring 29 points alone in four minutes is almost impossible. Yeah. Pretty much is impossible. Uh, especially if you put in good foul shooters and play prevent offense, like you just ran out of possessions. There's no way they could have overcome that. And I see people say like, Oh, I've seen them blow 23 point leads all the time in five minutes all the time. No, you didn't. You've seen them blow in 23 point leads, but never in five minutes. It's 
practically almost mathematically impossible. That being said, I do think Doc was in the process of trying to sub him out. And I do think there's not many coaches because, you know, before that sort of stretch of play, you're talking about what, take him out with six, seven minutes left. Very few coaches will ever do that. They were up, they were up 25 with six minutes left. Yeah. So like, should he have maybe pulled him out with six minutes left? Yeah. And should he have done that? Really where my head was at was more like, not so much worried about the freak injury, which is what ended up happening, but the thumb. Like, if you can avoid one or two hits on the thumb, go for it. But, like, we're talking about, like, did Doc miss two minutes of gameplay? Yeah, he probably did, but the odds of that coming back to bite you are so infinitely small. It's like getting in a car accident. Yeah, that, like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I wish he would have, and he probably should have, but it's not like Doc should be fired because he didn't take Joel out. Like, no, I'm not going that far. I just think he probably, the prudent thing probably was, but I understand why a lot of coaches aren't doing the full probability odds up 25 with six minutes left on the fly. Like, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I think that was well said by you for the most part. I, I probably would even go a little farther. Like, yeah, I, I get it that you probably should have taken him out of the game. I mean, you, you definitely should have, but it also, is a little bit of hindsight is 2020. Like I, I get it. 25 points in six minutes, 27 points after that. You're right. Mathematically, they're just not going to score that many. It's also the playoffs. The other team is still pressing. All of their starters are in they're pressing you and giving a hundred percent effort. And I mean, you know, taking Joel out seems like the obvious thing, but like, should you take out everybody? Like what if Harden got elbowed? No, but like or- the, Part of my calculus here is the the pre-existing injury on the thumb. Like, Joel's, Joel's higher risk because of the thumb and also more severe because in a couple minutes we're going to be baiting D-Ball Paul and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, look if, if Harden gets hurt, you're, you're done too. So I just, I, that's a little tough. Also too, this team blows a shit ton of leads. Like, I, I you definitely, you definitely don't want to give up a 15-0 run. And have to bring him back in, which, by the way, you would have had to bring him back in for that. Like, you absolutely would have. Uh, so, I, you know, it's it's one of those tough things. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, you're right. Like, he, he should have taken him out earlier. But I, I also think that's something pretty much every coach would have done. There, there certainly isn't a load management aspect to this because no. you want to get to the end of the game because then you get the three days off for that. It's not like the regular season. Yeah, it just it just sucks, man. Just such a, a a freak injury. Um, I, I will add one more thing too, on that. So yeah, Doc, just sucks. That's on that part. I don't think Siakam was trying to hurt him. That's a reckless ass play, though. It That's is reckless. Just... Yes. And by the way, he was not called for one offensive foul. I don't think the entire series for using his elbows. Like I'd like to see Tobias Harris's midsection. Do you think it's all bruised up? I bet you it is. From from all of those elbows he threw. And to just swing your elbows like that with the guy's face literally right in front of you yeah. is, again, I, I don't think he meant to do it, or I don't think he meant to injure Joel. Joel is friends with him. They're obviously from the same country. He was in, in a good mood with them after the game. You know, he gave him a hug and we're, we're kind of talking. Um, but it is a reckless play. And it's, I don't know, just ugh, the whole thing sucks. I, I, I'm sorry. We, we're... We're rehashing why it happened. I think the the best way to put it is just it just sucks. Yep. Just a fluke. It's 
it's just a crazy fluke occurrence that sucks. It just sucks. Um, all right, so what do we want to pivot to off of the shitty ass injury? Yeah, I mean, it's the problem is, and this is another regular season. I was going to say this, even if Joel was healthy, this is another completely useless oh, regular useless. season series. 100%. Just absolutely no reason to look into anything. <laughs> and now it's even more useless because it's like, okay, Embiid might be back at some point, but also, like, let, let's be real. Like, his thumb, that thing's going to heal. Like, he's going to get surgery on that in the offseason, and that's something you can legitimately say, let's play through it. The eyeball is scarier. Your, your vision, it's something I think you generally have to be a little more careful with. Hopefully, it gets to a place where he's okay to play and he can wear a mask and whatever, but let's be real. Like, this is different. Can't believe we're talking about a playoff series against the Miami Heat with Joel wearing a mask again. It really is like we just got in a time. He hates a mask too. He hated that thing. We were just joking not too long ago. Was it? Uh, I think it was last. Well, the podcast that you'll never hear about how Brett was like chasing after him to put the mask back on. Like he hated that thing. Uh, let's see. In a, in a regular start? season series, what I think Joel missed a game. Between the four teams, mm-hmm. um, James Harden didn't play in any of them. Jimmy Butler missed a game. Bam missed two games. I think three of the games were on back-to-backs for the Sixers. <laughs> Sixers, Sixers back-to-backs, yeah. So, yeah, there's really not a whole lot you can take from any of that, which makes this podcast a little tougher and makes preparation a little tougher. I guess where would you... We'll start off with the big men. Who do you think Doc's going to start? It's DeAndre, right? Might be DeAndre. The The only thing I would push back on, though, is Doc, at the end of last series, he made the good adjustment to take and beat out of the game earlier. Again, another thing that was featured on last podcast where he, <laughs> he switched Embiid's rotation up where he gave him more of the more of the Brett three shifts in one half type of approach. And the reason he did it was he said, we like Paul with the four other starters. Well, if you like Paul with the four other starters. You could start him. Uh, well, but it, I think part of that is the limit Paul's responsibility. So he yeah. doesn't have to do as much because there's everyone but Joel on there. Well, increasing his role by starting him might be sort of like the opposite of limiting his responsibility, though. Like, I worry that that might be putting a little too much pressure on him in Doc's eyes. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, you know, like, look, there's no good answer to this. Yeah, oh, I mean, no. You could, you, could spin, you could spin anything here in a, and in for, a negative for the, for fashion. Those, for those wondering... Charles Bassey still has the shoulder thing. He's been on the injury report the entire time listed as out. He did I, practice today. Or okay. He, he's closer. They, they did say that. The, the so. benefit to the podcast co-host that uh, does not have, have COVID and is allowed to be around the team right now. Yeah. So he's, he's getting closer. I, you're, you're, you're not seeing Charles Bassey. Unless, unless like people, Paul picks up like six fouls in like eight minutes, which could so, happen. So Doc, he did. I mean, and look, this doesn't really matter because he says stuff. You know, he'll be like, hey, anything's possible, and he, he just won't. He'll yeah. just play the DeAndre card or the Paul Millsap card. Uh, he did say that he'd be willing to play all four of them. I, I guess my, my biggest problem with Reed right now, who, again, deserves to be the backup center when Joel's not in, uh, or when Joel is in, is that he fouls, like, every two minutes. And so, Bam, Bam's a tough matchup for that. And I know people yeah. say like, maybe like physically they're a little bit similar and blah, blah, blah. He's can move with them. Well, but Bam's going to 
you know, get that ball off the pick and roll, that short roll, and he's going to make decisions and drives and kicks and force Paul Reed to react and react correctly and make a lot of right reads and right rotations and not foul. And that's going to be a real tough matchup for him, I think. It's he's the only one who has a chance to actually succeed against it, but it's going to be a real tough matchup for him. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Miami is an above average offensive rebounding team. And a lot of that is Bam, I believe, right? Yeah. He's yep. looking at it right now is, uh, yeah, he's a great offensive rebounder. And yeah, I think it's going to be really hard to keep him off the glass. I mean, it's, it's other guys too. It's PJ Tucker crashing in from the corners, all those things. But uh, yeah, I don't know what you do. I, so let, let me go with one positive potentially for DeAndre. And I, I still, still a little bit behind in my prep. Miami runs a lot of like split action. They're, they're a little Warriors-esque where... I wonder if DeAndre, I, like, look, again, I don't think DeAndre is the solution to anything, but I wonder if old bad center X matters a little bit less if Miami runs their general offense because it's Bam facilitating from the post, which means it's really on your guards to kind of yeah. be there for those. Like, they're not running. I don't really think that this is a team that's going to run a lot of just straight pick and roll and make DeAndre... Make plays. They have guys who will pull off the pick and roll, like Hero and like Lowry. Yeah. Even in, Jimmy will get into the mid range, running some pick and roll. We know he likes to run those as well. Run a lot of DHOs, not Jimmy. Run J- of, Jimmy doesn't like DHOs. He doesn't but like the rest DHOs. of the guys. They'll run a lot of DHOs for a lot of screens. Um, so it would be nice if he could offer maybe a little more help. Yeah, uh, and on those, but yeah, and it's just a team where your whole team has to be connected, which is again that's a problem with DeAndre Jordan because he's not really connected to what the team does, and. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like I'm not really expecting a lot of good moments, but it is, you know, if they were playing Phoenix, I would just be like, oh my God, like the other number one seed pick. Sure. Oh my God, they're just going to, they're going to run pick and roll and they're going to run Spain pick and roll. They're just going to kill it, kill him with that and just put him in no man's land time and time again. I don't know if this team has quite the personnel to do that, especially because, you know, we don't know how healthy Kyle and, uh, and Jimmy are. So yeah. I so maybe it's a little bit better of a serious that, but if you made me guess who the two centers are to start, it's gonna be DeAndre and and Paul. And I bet you the probably the plan to start for me, not for me, for what I think the team's gonna do, is gonna be DeAndre, Paul, and then if they go small, you know, if they go with like Tucker at center, the Sixers will go small Tobias. too. They will go with Tobias and Niang in the front court. They'll do that. And see how it goes. Is that a, a great solution? No, no, I don't think so. No, the re- rebounding of that one's going to be a huge concern. Well, I mean, good thing you're small in the backcourt, too. <laughs> Get that level of help. Yeah, no, um, this Look, is not th- a team that's the whole. That's the whole part of this. Joel Embiid is one of the five best basketball players walking the planet. If you don't have him, it gets really fucking hard. It just does. Yeah, and to be honest, rebounding and defense were pretty hard even with him. Yes. Uh, which really shows you how much this is going to be a struggle. No, there are definitely no good solutions. And look, I think they're going to have to play DeAndre just because I don't think you can dust off Paul Millsap at this point. Oh, to be honest, I'd probably give it a try. They're both um, bad. They're both bad. They're, they're both bad. Charles Bassey hasn't played basketball in quite a while and hasn't He's, played NBA basketball in a very long time. He was great in the, the G League, and he was the guy that we thought should have played at the start. We are getting to the point where he has not played in a long time. 
to and look if, if Doc throws him in, I'd say hey, good good for him, like or whatever. I'm not expecting a lot from from that. I'll just put it I'll put it that way. Yeah. So no, if if you, if you want to make Charles Bass a guy, he needed to be given that sort of at the end of February, not uh, at the end of April or beginning of May. I don't I don't know what else to add there. The defense scares me a lot a lot, and this isn't a great offensive team. They're pretty good off. They got better as the year went on. Very reliant on the very reliant on the three. Great three yep. point shooting team. Yep, number one spot up shooting team in the league. I think in both effectiveness and in volume, uh, they get a lot, a lot, a lot of good looks, and then they run their guys off of stuff. DHOs, screens, uh, little pick and rolls. Uh, with each of them having a different flavor of pick and roll style that they prefer, they are a well balanced team. They don't have one guy who just terrifies you. They don't have one guy they're going to rely upon, but they have enough guys that they can pick on mismatches pretty effectively. And the Sixers are not a great defensive team, especially when they don't have the big guy there to cover up mistakes. Look, they need to get one out of two in Miami somehow, and then we can reevaluate everything going from there. Uh, that's going to be tough, though. That is going to be tough. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think you're going to have to go with your main guys are going to have to be Tobias. You know, Danny's going to have to play a lot. I think you're going to have to give Thibel another chance as bad as he was, just because if he can stick with some of these guys off screens, that's a huge deal. You yeah, know, and I, th- I think I, I get Thibel it. I get on it. The court the with DeAndre is, and B-Wall Paul, like that's going to be bad. scary. Yeah. I just, ugh, it's bad. I, so, so I'll say another guy. Cause I, I, you know, if Thibel can't play. So, okay. One other, and again, this is when I say this, um, like a reason to be positive. I I'm couching that with, I know this is the second round of the playoffs <laughs> and the heat are going to be actually trying and they're hungry to try and win a championship too. And yeah, I probably don't think it's going to work. Would you not agree that doc rivers best coaching this season was when, when the few times Joel and the was out, they won. I got three off the top of my head, but there's, there's more. I mean, there were, I think there were six and seven or six and eight without Joel this year. But the three that come to mind, it, it, they're kind of the games that he didn't miss due to COVID when that was just a rough stretch. They were on a West Coast trip. The three home games they won that I am thinking of, Portland early in the year, Memphis, and then against these Miami Heat, I think in late March, again, beating the Miami Heat on March 21st or whatever. Great win, but how much is that going to transfer to yep. a playoffs? I will say Doc and the whole team did a really good job keeping the same identity in those games where they, and Harden didn't play in any of those, by the way, they spread the floor, Tyrese Maxey being the engine, but Shake Milton also being a big part of it as well. Spread the floor, drive and kick, pray on defense, just try and survive. And they did a, they did a really good job to get some of those wins. Will that transfer over to a playoff series? I don't know. But I would imagine if they do make this more competitive than we probably think, Shake Milton's going to be a big part of it because yeah. you know Harden Harden is still here and Harden's going to have the ball a ton. And we'll talk about him in a sec because he's got to be the best guy in the series. Unfortunately, now if they, if they have any chance of treading water until Embiid, whenever Embiid comes back, but Shake Milton becomes more of a ball handler now. And you know, as a spot up guy, is he he's a little overqualified for that, and that. You want him to have the ball in his hands. That's when he's at his best. Um, so yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna be a big part of it as well. Yeah, um, because Miami they will have pretty much at all times they will have at least one defender that you can attack. 
whether that's uh, Struess in the starting lineup, uh, Hero, Robinson, somebody will be on there that you can attack. Even, like you mentioned, Butler and Lowry might not be 100%. There will be opportunities for you to attack. You just need to have enough people on the court capable of attacking those mismatches. And I will give Doc credit. Quite frankly, I think that was the best coached playoff series for Doc Rivers and the Sixers sideline. I almost said uniform. Coaches don't wear uniforms. Thank goodness for that. Wear quarter zips, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think they did a good job as the series went on. I think they just picturing a minute uniform. Yeah, no, I I had to stop for a minute. Um, (laughs) And I think they did a good job of getting the matchups they wanted. And after a series last year against Atlanta where they couldn't pick on a mismatch to save their lives, now part of that is because you have Danny Green and uh, Matisse Thibel and Ben Simmons who don't (sighs) want to or can't attack mismatches. I get it. That's the problem. Now you have James Harden. You have Tyrese Maxey who's taken 10 steps over what he was last year. You've got even Shake Milton in a lesser role. They have to be able to attack those weak spots. Uh, And they did that in that game in March against Miami that Embiid and Harden didn't play in. Uh, and they're going to have to do a lot of that here because they are at a... I, I mean, obviously, they're missing their their, their linchpin. Um, that, in that Miami game in March, that was a violent amount of Tyler Hero hunting at yes. the end of that game. That yes. was... I don't was like, really... I think it was 20 points in the second half they scored on him. And they, it was all in a row down the stretch in the fourth quarter. It was... Man, it was about as bad as I've seen one player get picked on in a regular season game. And the good news, I guess, is that Ty- Tyler Hero is very important to them in terms of shot creation, yep. all of those things. It was everybody. Shake was destroying him. Yep. Tobias was destroying him. Maxi was going by him like he didn't even exist. Harden didn't play, but you know that he'll be able to score on him. So that's, you know, that's going to be the Sixers offense. And, you know, for a really good defensive team, like Miami, it's a better offensive plan than you would think like that the Sixers have. So that's that's positive. Yeah, and I, I mean, I wonder if you see less of those bad defenders, right? Like, who, who are the three? You mentioned Struess. Hero and Robinson. Hero and Robinson. Yeah. The white guys, by the way. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, their other four starters are pretty good defenders. They are. In Bam's case, an incredible defender. Jimmy's case, very good, especially when he can dial it up in the playoffs. Lowry was great in his prime. Um, I, they, they put Tucker on Maxi a lot. I'd like to see him try and stay in front of him. I He's very physical, and he still, you know what? He did a pretty good job on Trey when he was guarding him, So, like their whole team did. Yeah. But I, you're right, though. I think there's a chance for Miami you see a lot of Oladipo in this series because— I'm just not sure, you know, obviously he's uh he's a great story him coming back. I'm I'm sure he's not like a defensive stalwart. I can't say I've been watching a lot of it, but he just has the the build where I'm not sure Harden can destroy him one-on-one off the dribble. Right. Gabe Vincent's a he's smaller, but he's pretty pesky. He might be what Fred Van Vliet was advertised right. as, honestly. <laughs> uh and then the other guy is Caleb Martin, who's just kind of a rock or is it Cody or Caleb? I forget which which one it is. Caleb. They play very similar games, both of those guys, where they're just very sturdy 3 and D wings. They, they really, they're very good defender and can make a corner three. It does a really good job. If it can make some plays off the bounce as well, he's a good player. So uh, I wonder if you see those three guys a little bit more just because you look at the Sixers and they say, well, how, how are we going to lose this team? Well, if they attack our bad defenders, they might have a chance. Yeah. 
if we don't have any bad defenders, I well to your point, we should though, be able to score on them. Tyler Tyler Hero, twenty one points per game this year, five rebounds, four assists, forty percent from three on seven attempts. He's not going off the floor, uh, so you will always have at least one to attack, and you need you need sixty points a night from Maxi and Harden until Joel gets back. You yep. need those monster numbers. There just isn't enough depth on this team. There isn't enough chance that they're going to shut Miami down. You need monster, monster numbers. I know it would be great, great if they can force some turnovers and win the transition battle, too. Uh, get get Maxi and Harden some easy buckets. Um, that would be great, too. So the, the other thing I was thinking of with Harden, yeah, 60 points. I would say if you got 50-something and you got that last game, as we said on the last pod, that was a masterpiece that Harden yeah. played. If yep. he gives you 22 and 15 and makes the right decision sure. every single yep. time, then then you're still cooking a little bit. Uh, is he capable of it? So, like, how would you compare? Miami is probably, you know, Boston's probably the other one. Besides Toronto, they're the switchiest team in the league. They're, they're probably the three. There's a, a very good chance if the Sixers are able to miraculously get through this series, they will play the three switchiest teams yeah. in the entire league Yep, right away. But they don't have quite the length Toronto does. No. And they, they, but on the positive note, I don't think they do all the crazy shit Toronto does. No, which. they, they do give up a lot of open corner threes, but they're more selective in who they give them up to. Like they give them up the bad shooters, I think. And I don't have this pulled up in front of me, but I think they gave up like the second or third most corner threes but I think opponents also shot the lowest percentage on them. And a lot of times when that happens, sometimes it's variance, but a lot of times you'll see teams like Boston do that, where they give up a lot of open corner threes, but it's the shooters that they want. Toronto's a little more just like, fuck it, we're abandoning the corners to try to get steals. We'll, <laughs> we'll use our length and our speed and our quickness to recover. Miami's a little more selective in how they do it. Uh, I agree with you there. They will uh, give them up. but not, not, all, not all the way the lowest, but yeah, they, they, they give up similar. I think they're 28th in frequency. And right their ninth in uh, opponent field goal percentage. So I think make them. Yeah. Danny, you'll, you'll see a lot of, you know, I I think you'll see a little less of maybe George Yang open in the corner, a whole lot more of Matisse Seibel open in the corner. uh, And someone like Danny, who's going to be sort of like the swing shooter. Yeah. As you all know, by now we've teamed up with bet MGM this season. We'll be using the bet MGM lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for bet MGM yet, Use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TA Basketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's talk uh let's talk Harden here though. Is he like like who do you think is going to guard Harden? It's a good question. It might be Jimmy. Uh I I just wonder with the injury if Jimmy is going to guard. Him. Yeah. I, I think so, it would normally be Jimmy. I think it's going to be I think Maxi and uh and Harden, I to me I think it's going to be Tucker. Okay, and I think Maxie's going to get Vincent to start. If that's that's how they go with with it, I mean, they they obviously can fiddle with their rotation a little bit, but that's they they were starting Struess there in the uh, when they had their four core guys healthy. I think. Yeah, and Vincent won't start if Lowry is playing too. Ah, That's that's interesting though, man. Like, is Lowry up to that with that hammy? No, I mean he he should. I mean he'll have all the you know, learn tools in his toolbox, but there's certainly a speed discrepancy there in Maxi's favor. No, he's, he, he will have a speed advantage on pretty much any, whether it's Lowry or Butler or um, pretty much anyone who would, who would guard him. Yeah. I, I mean, look, and he has had, Maxi is a huge part of this as well, where, you know, Harden is with him now, but he's had a lot of practice playing without Joel this year and having to carry the offense. And look, it's, I, I'm not going to blame. The, I, I really, I can't come down too hard if on him. If he can't do it in this series, this ask of him is they continually ask more and more and more where I'm just like, I'm blown away by what the kid has done for the most part. And if he can't do this, whoop de doo I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. Like it's, it's okay. Uh, but you know we we've seen him go off for like thirty five points in these type of games. So and yeah, I, I think he's going to be faster than all these Heat guys too. It's not like uh, there's like six guys in the league that can match his speed. Maybe, maybe not even. Yeah, so, none of them are on this roster. They are an older roster. But look, him and Harden, you're right though. They're going to have to have monster offensive games for the Sixers to win. And you're right. It's not just points. It's shots created because there's really no other good ways to create an open look especially against a team right now who that's really their one weakness is they will give up that corner three. There's nobody else on a Sixers roster right now who's healthy, uh, who will create that really other than Harden. Maxie will sometimes, not as much as maybe he will in five years when he's at his prime, but he will sometimes just from sheer speed uh, and, and impact at the rim. But they need, they need Harden to be at the top of his game pretty much every game and be able to straddle that line um, because they're going to need big points, but they're going to need... Shot creation too. This is a, a tough, and I think I think Harden will have matchups to exploit, no matter which one of of those people that we talked about, whether it's Lowry, or Butler, or Tucker. Especially if you know the first two are hampered in any way because of their injuries, he will have a chance. But I hope these couple of days off do him well because they need him early in the series in a big way. And you would hope the positive reinforcement from Game Six would do him well. Yeah, it's uh, he's gonna have to be absolutely massive. Uh, another aspect of this too. Let's shift to the other end of the court. Tobias Harris is probably gonna guard Jimmy Butler, yeah. right? I think that one's probably the the safest assumption. Do you think they keep uh, Danny in the starting lineup? Yep, I do too. Yes, I do. 
So, Especially with the way he was shooting at the tail end uh, of that um, series uh, and with that second quarter performance, which we talked about a little bit in the other pod, he was real key. And the way he came alive there in the playoffs, giving them at least some semblance of defense and then also that corner shot was was big for them. Yeah, and Tobias is going to get that Jimmy matchup just like he got the Siaka matchup. And, you know, Tobias defended Jimmy pretty well down the stretch of that game in in March. But again, that game was in March and Jimmy yeah. just played a really good first round series, albeit against a, a pretty bad opponent. That that Hawks team was gross the entire season. I yep. I was so sick of them by the end of the year. Trey Young. I was so sick of that, them by like game four when he was like, oh, that play, regular season yeah, Regular boring. season's boring. That team was kind of a joke. And by the way. You know what was boring? Watching you play in the playoffs too. Horrible. And he stunk. And you know, how, how much of that, I I look forward to digging into more of that film and, and watching that series. To me, I, you know, the Heat's defense was very good against him. On the other hand, he sucked. Like, yeah. he really sucked. And you would hope Harden and Maxi would give just better efforts just off the top. Like, you, you know, Bogdanovich had a really big series. So I, I can't say Miami's defense was just stifling on every single player. Uh, the other thing I will say is, as much as Maxi can be hunted defensively, the Heat aren't going to get as many easy buckets as they got. Trey Young just walks out of the way for you yeah. to score. It's really, it's bad, man. So can they be a little bit better? Yeah. Huge opportunity for Tobias. I, I think, unfortunately, I think unfortunately like the, the key is going to have to be playing Jimmy straight up and hope he, he misses some of these mid-rangers that he can create. Hope Tobias can stay out of foul trouble. Jimmy is awesome at creating fouls. Yep. He's like, he is the anti-Harden and that he draws fouls and it's, the least floppy way possible. It's by he slow, just goes right up into you. Slow drives and just jumping right into you. Yep. His strength is is really really impressive. Uh, I think everybody here knows Jimmy Butler's a, a pretty damn good basketball player. He's a pretty damn good playoff basketball player as well. But I, I think you just you got to go under screens on him and just just dare him to try and shoot. Hopefully he shoots his way out of it. But I, I think you you start to get into trouble with with this team when you help too much. Like the, yeah. the Raptors. As the Sixers learned, they probably learned it a little later in the yep. series that that's a team you can help off, and that team shoots twenty percent for the entire series. This team does not have that level of athleticism, but if if you help off yeah. Jimmy the way you're probably supposed to help off of Pascal, you might get a lot of threes rained over your over your head. So that's uh, look, I, I'll just I'll say like this is going to be really hard, and for pretty much everybody, for Tobias Harris with this matchup with Jimmy Butler. For James Harden with all of his postseason demons, for Doc Rivers against Eric Spolstra with a way like a worse hand, let's just say that it's a major opportunity for those guys because honestly, if they lose this series and Joe is not a big factor, or maybe he comes back at the very end after it's a hopeless cause. How much are you going to be able to get on these guys and say like you completely failed for yeah. this series? I, I, I think we're not going to be at that point. It's, oh, no, they're be... pretty strong underdogs right now, for sure. They should be. They should be. All right, well, then... If you were, so I was trying to figure out what was my prediction going to be if Joel was healthy for all of it. And by healthy, I mean with, with Thumb. I thought the Sixers had a solid chance. I wasn't sure if I was going to pick them yet, but certainly it was within the 40 to 60 range. It was somewhere in that middle range. This is this is going to be tough now, and I can't can't say how tough because I have no idea how long Joel's going to be out. 
but if you drop the first two in Miami and without Joel, like that's going to be tough to pick up one win down there. That series gets real tough real quickly. When you are the road team, the whole series rides on. Can you get a split in the first two? Then, then you have a real chance. And yeah, those are the games you are, you know, the five day concussion timeline. I think he's eligible to play that second game, man. I don't think he's playing in that second. I'd game. be surprised. Uh, this is just going off of sort of gut and read talking to people. I would be a little, I think game three is a more realistic best case. Best case. Yeah. Though. I mean, best. he still has to clear protocols. That's assuming he clears protocol protocols in the uh, minimum time frame. So that, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think the, the one week mark is probably the, the best case game three next Friday. And that's the best case. That's if nothing goes wrong here, which again, he just, got a concussion and his eye fractured. So it's uh, some things could theoretically go wrong here. Uh, but, but look, I, I think they have to look at this as like, man, this would be epic if we can get this done. If, if we can tread water, like basically just like Dallas did without Luca for yeah. a little while. It, I honestly, it probably would be more epic because that Utah team is oh, yeah. a bunch of, they're yeah. a bunch of phonies and the heat are a team they don't have I, Jimmy is awesome, but he's not a top five player no. in the NBA. But they have him, who's probably like you know top ten ish, top fifteen ish, whatever. And they're just like the infrastructure's awesome, the coach is awesome. They're not a team that you would think would squander an opportunity like Embiid's injury would give you. If you can do it, it's as epic as it gets. It really is. So I think you have to look at it that way. I, I will say though. I think if Embiid, did, this did not happen to him, I would have picked the Sixers in six. And, and I agree with you. I think it would have been a toss-up type of series, but I, I just don't know if the Heat would be able to exploit the Sixers' weaknesses like they would be able to exploit the Heat's weaknesses. I, I really, I think Embiid would have had to have outplayed Bam in that series. I think he would have. I think oh, he's, yeah. he's just no, too I big. I agree. I think Bam is an awesome player, but awesome. it's more it's more in the switch mold. Like he's, he's a great switch player. And if you, if you want to switch one to five, I don't think that's going to work against Joel as we saw in the last series. So yeah, I would have picked them, but now it's, you know, I, I, it's almost fruitless to, to pick the number of games because you don't know if or when Joel's going to come back. But like, I don't know. I'd probably default to like heat and five. Yeah. No. And, and to your point, like, Bam is legitimately one of the best defensive players in the league. Jimmy sure. is one of the best two-way players in the league. Great. It, for a guy, with the exception of shooting, just very few flaws in his game, which I know it's a pretty big exception in today's NBA, but he's legitimately great at almost everything else. But if Joel Embiid was there, that is a team that's built to really disrupt almost every other play style in the league, except maybe a dominant post-up center. <laughs> Except jam the ball on the block yeah. and you're not big enough. Well, shit, now you've lost that dominant post-up center for at least a, a, at least a game, probably a couple, and it throws everything into chaos. And the Sixers' biggest weakness, and at least if there's one thing we saw, it's that Andre Drummond wasn't actually a playoff solution. We saw that in the Brooklyn series. I know there was a lot of hand-wringing when the Sixers gave him up. He would have never gotten in the way of a James Harden trade. Would he, would I take him in this series? Absolutely. <laughs> Look, I mean, I mean, he'd be playing thirty minutes in this series. Don't get me wrong. Over DeAndre, a hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. 
but we'd still be having a lot of the same concerns, just not quite as amplified. This is a this is a tough one. I agree with you. I think I'm picking Miami for sure. I might go six, which would be heartbreaking for Sixers fans because that means they would lose at home for the second year in a row. Wouldn't wouldn't be heartbreaking for us though because I, oh, I am those... so sick of these exit interviews. <laughs> yeah. I, I I feel like it's going to be five, and I'm going to be on a flight at goddamn six a.m. the next day. Well, as if trying to get home. if it's just a flight, it'll be an improvement. Because remember, you you drove back from Toronto. You and I both drove back from Boston. It's true. A flight would be an improvement from what we've done in the past. Six a.m. I'm not feeling that, but you're no. right. It, it would be better, and it would be either half or a quarter of those journeys in length. So I do think I, I I'm going to go with Miami in six. It would be a different outcome, I think. A lot of times when I pick these series, by the way, I'm not really thinking like, well, can can Miami win on the road? It's more like, I think they're a little tougher series than a gentleman's sweep, but not quite enough to go seven. Like, it's more like that. And I think when Joel Embiid gets back, if assuming he gets back, six will get a little bit of a shot in the arm, which is why I'm going six instead of five. But I just don't think they're going to be able to su- successfully get one of those two in Miami to start. And I think thing. that's real tough to come back from. We we just saw it play out in the previous series where once Sixers got up 2-0, it's like, well, Toronto winning four out of five is really, really, really tough. It's they, really tough. They fucked around for two solid games and it didn't matter because they got that commanding lead. Completely fucked around. Barely, like, looked like December basketball for two straight games. And they still came <laughs> out and put their foot down and it was over. It was over. <laughs> yeah. Which again, and that's to your point where... Did it really matter that they were playing on the road in game six? No, as it turned out, as it turned out, it did not. It did not even affect them in the slightest. Yeah, but it's just these first two games are everything. If if you get a split in these two games and Joe's coming back at some point, all right, then then we can have a discussion. Yeah. But man, it's just it's so hard. Like if he's got to come back for game three in his first game and you got to win that game, it's just it's going to be really hard. And it's it sucks because we can't judge them as their full team because this is just a crippling injury. It just cripples your basketball team to the point where you are not supposed to win. You're just not. Uh, And that'll make the off. That would make the off season more interesting. I, but look, I said this on, this is another thing I said in the pie shit, just live in the moment, judge this series for what it is before you get into the off season talk. But I will say like, you know, a close loss in the off, uh, you know, a close loss where you just, you don't have the, the players available. That, that makes your off season evaluations. I think a little more interesting than perhaps they would have been. And look, I know FTX arena, which by the way, that was weird seeing that. I didn't even know it was renamed. Uh, yeah. I know that's a real tough place to play. Those Miami crowds can get a little bit rambunctious. Um, <laughs> that's playing against the Sixers as well. I do hope that they extend it. So I get a chance to go down there. Beat writers like South Beach too. Uh, so hopefully I can get a negative test, be cleared to travel and cover the team again and get down there in Miami. That bums me out. I know there's much bigger consequences and things at stake with the coronavirus, but now that I am feeling better, certainly missing the first two bum me out. But quite frankly, I would just like to cover conference finals. I would love to cover a conference finals. You and I don't root like fans do. Like, that's very much true. It would be impossible for us to do our jobs if we did. Uh, And you and I both take our jobs serious enough. I would like to cover an event. And I want to cover a conference finals. I'd love to cover an NBA finals. So hopefully they can steal one out of two in Miami. 
we can completely flip this sort of depressing way that we're ending this podcast on and they have a chance to win the series. And, you know, credit to Jimmy Butler because he said earlier today, like, he's just bummed for Joel and I believe him because they're, they're boys. And I they think, are. I do think Miami, <laughs> as much as that, that culture BS gets a little bit overhyped, I, I do think they're probably like the one team in the NBA where there's a decent amount of people on their team that are like, oh, shit, I want to beat these guys full strength. Like, I actually... I don't think that's the smart way to think about it. I think you look at it and say, ah, that sucks for him, but you know, it's an advantage for us. Uh, I, I do think there are some guys on that team's like, damn it. We wanted to beat them full strength. So hopefully those people get their wish. You get a clean, uh, clean bill of health and Joel Embiid does too. But uh, at least on that last one, that's a, that's a big if. Yeah. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, any other sort of stray thoughts here before we close this one up? Think you could see some zone from the Heat to protect Hero if if they are attacking them as much now. W- will it work? Like against Harden against his zone is, I think he can figure some stuff out with some of the passing, maybe getting Tobias at the at the free throw line. But that's that's what they did in their bubble run to protect. You know they would play Robinson and Hero. They play them at the bottom of like the two three zone to protect them a little bit more. Could we see that? Maybe. You know, I think in the first game this year, which again, the season series was completely useless, they played a shit ton of zone and Thibel was completely useless in that game. Couldn't make a shot. Maybe, maybe we see that some more too. Yep. Miami maybe the played, Sixers throw it too. Miami has historically played among the mo- teams in the league the highest frequency of zone. They were the third most frequent zone team in the league. A lot of times, the high zone teams are the shitty defensive teams. Uh, Portland and Charlotte were the only two teams who played more zone than Miami. Miami's the opposite. They play zone and they play it well. Uh, and they played man-to-man defense well, too. They That's a very big part of their game plan and their playbook. Uh, we will definitely see some zone. I agree with you, though. I think James Harden makes his team much tougher to zone up than oh. some of the previous teams. So does Tyrese Maxey, too. Yep. And, and jump he's made both as a shooter and attacking space. Um, they should be much better equipped than in previous years. If you're giving up open 28 footers, like, all right, yeah, he might, he might go five of eight on those. Yeah, he might. <laughs> it's fucking wild. It's fucking wild. That's yes. what I mean. This should have been a, an exciting, happy go lucky podcast talking about Tyrese Maxey's growth and James Harden looking a little more bursty and Joel Embiid figuring out his hand. And instead we had, to- Ugh, I thought it was going to be a really fun series that the Sixers had a real chance to win. <laughs> Who knows? Shit could happen, but this Look, is a this is a, a pretty dialed in Miami team. That, that's one thing I give them credit for. Uh, they have you. I mean, it's sort of like what you mentioned with a lot of the guys who probably want to play the Sixers at at full strength. They are sort of wired that way, and I think that makes them pretty consistent in the playoffs. And they're they're going to try hard. And maybe injuries might happen, or Lowry or Butler won't be a hundred percent, or shots just won't fall, or Harden or Maxi will get unconscionably hot. Crazy shit can happen, but I don't think it'll be a lack of effort on Miami's part for sure. No, they just, they don't seem like a team that'll get caught sleeping. Like a team I know when they're at full strength gets caught, uh, caught napping. Yeah. Look, Maxi, Harden, Harris, they're just going to have to be massive. They're just yep. going to have to be so big in this series. If they win though, and Joel's not a major part of it, it's their most epic win in a series since it's their best series win. I think since like, what do you think? 1982. Oh gosh. Beat um, LA. 
I don't think any of the Iverson ones would top this if, if they did it without Joel for a lot of it. The Milwaukee one. So, so this is going to replace our Greg Buckner talk. We had a lot of random 2003 Sixers basketball conversation in that podcast that will never be released. Um, that might, that Milwaukee series against, you know, big dog and Ray Allen and Sixers Assist- coach, Sam Cassell, Assistant coach, Sam Cassell. That was a, a, a pretty good win, but yeah, that was good. This would, this would be a, a big one too. Certainly the biggest one of Joel Embiid's career. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Sounds good. We will talk to you soon, Rich. Thank you for jumping on and have a good one. See you, man.